Wednesday, November 24th, episode 133 of The Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. The Sacramento Kings have reportedly turned down any deal for Ben Simmons involving De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton. The wording is a little, is it either or, both? I don't know. Either way, that that's kind of the sticking point is those two players, right? Then the other night, the Sixers C unit comes into Sacramento. It's the debut of Alvin Gentry as the interim coach. Usually there's a honeymoon phase. I don't know what the stat is, but if you look, usually the first game after a team fires their head coach, they win. They're inspired, right? And they've got the juices flowing. So the Sixers C unit, no Tobias Harris, no Joel Embiid, no Seth Curry. They come in and beat Sacramento. They fell apart late. But the bigger aspect of the storyline, I think, is Tyrese Maxey, the other guard from Kentucky, outplayed De'Aaron Fox. Like he, the, if you, you look at the projection moving forward, I'd probably take Maxey over Fox. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just crazy. To me, look, De'Aaron Fox isn't a max player. And you look at Tyrese Halliburton, because again, back to this trade value and who do they move and what do they do with that backcourt. Some of the things that people were concerned with about Halliburton coming out of, what was it, Iowa State, are coming to fruition in the sense of he really can't get his own shot off the bounce because of that weird pickup, right? But to me, in the grand scheme of things, if I'm building a contender, I'd rather have Halliburton at $10, $12 million a year than De'Aaron Fox on a max contract. It's value to a contender. Yes, if you're a bottom-feeding team and you have no direction, no franchise player, maybe you want to take a swing with De'Aaron Fox. But if you already have Joel Embiid, you already have the foundation of a contender, Halliburton is worth more. It's valued contract and systematic fit. How many different players can he fit with on the floor? But yeah, man, that was disappointing. I was rooting for them. I saw Bagley out there. I brought his name up a couple times over the last few weeks. I'm still intrigued with him, man. He looks like he's damn near seven foot. He might have grown since the last time we've seen him playing. I, I want to see him more, and I I'm just intrigued with this Sacramento situation uh, and Gentry and, and, and this trade thing because, yeah, Fox, he ain't him. It it's just one of those things. And look, it's not a diss to like, oh, he's a bum, he's a scrub. He's not that. He's just now when you have give him $180 million, now all of a sudden he's got to be the guy, and he's not. The Lakers show up in New York last night brawnless. Can someone explain to me why DeAndre Jordan is playing over Dwight Howard? That's seriously the most disturbing issue I see with the Lakers right now. We talk about broken window theories. That's the biggest broken window. It doesn't make sense, right? And then, who convinced THT to braid his hair? Mello, stop it, Mello, right? You Look, you can't have a receding hairline in the front and the back and then tie it down in little tight braids like that? The shit was so tight, man. That, bro that brother probably couldn't even see right. Eyes pulled back, head throbbing and shit. No wonder he couldn't make a shot last night. And so that game kind of played out how you thought. They showed some heart. Russ battled, right? But it was too much without LeBron on that stage. And uh, they end up losing to the Knicks after, you know, after a valiant effort. They end up losing to the Knicks after a valiant effort. Now, I want to revisit the LeBron incident one more time here because... I'm just surprised how many people want to just outright call this a dirty play. And yes, I've seen the compilation that's floating around of LeBron's dirty plays. For those people that are in that boat, 
I think it's one of two things. A, you just hate any and everything LeBron. That's fine. That's cool. Own it. Just own it. Just know that you can't objectively view anything about LeBron objectively, right? Or B, you just simply haven't played enough basketball. Go down to at your rec center, your gym, your park, and go run for an hour, an hour and a half. Someone's going to throw a bow at you. Someone's going to throw a bow at you. That's part of the game, right? Now, the problem is, is when it goes high. When it goes to the face, that escalates things. Obviously, it that's what happens. So I understand that. But, you know, and then there's the other camp of people. I've heard this a ton of times. I'm not picking on anybody that's messaged me or said this. I'm not picking on you because I've heard it from like 20 people. The theory of if you make a dirty play, then you're a dirty player. No, that's not how it works. Sorry. Sorry. I've been around the game too long. People get out of pocket. In the heat of competitions, emotions rise, things are said, things happen, and someone every now and then that's a, a good character, high character player may do something out of pocket. That's how I see it, man. But, you know, looking at this disastrous season thus far for the Lakers and LeBron, you know, I think the irony of it is a big part of his legacy is kind of le GM, right? You see that joke everywhere on the internet, right? He started the player empowerment movement and kind of dictating what his roster looked like. We've seen it now for 10 years. And now, all of a sudden, it looks like his swan song may possibly be burning down this Lakers team. And I think that the championship bubble has kind of given him a shield as far as his Laker legacy goes. Like, that, he got that, so that's fine. Like, he ain't gonna get killed for that. It's gonna protect him a bit. But we've said this before, so I know, you know, people are well have before, but like, Russ is untradeable. Russ is untradeable. And you look at these final years here for LeBron in Los Angeles, what desperate type of moves may they make to try to correct course and become respectable again? Because I think that they just may dig themselves a deeper hole. So it's just, again, kind of ironic that LeBron and, and that's, I think back to the hate on LeBron, like that's fine. That's, that's what we can do as fans. I'm not judging y'all. That's fine. Um, but I think that a lot of the hate goes back to the GM, right? People don't like that he set his own table. He's controlled his rosters and he's done a lot of things that maybe unbalanced the competition. And that's, I think that's when people turned on LeBron, right? The decision and all that. It may come full circle here with the karma as far as the end of his career here. It, it could end ugly here in Los Angeles, man. This, this roster just doesn't make any damn sense. Clippers, Dallas. I only caught the overtime last night. I was at my daughter's tournament here. Um, but this is rounding into a nice rivalry, right? One of the better rivalries here in the NBA. I think the thing that sticks out most to me is Kristaps Porzingis' health and aggression. He's moving out there confidently. And look, this Mavericks team, they have some swagger. They're, they're tough, right? I think the problem is they're two stars durability. Luka back from the knee slash ankle sprain. I was thinking like, yo, is this a double standard? You don't ever want to like, I don't want to like dip into the race card of things because it's just, it's too, it's too triggery. I don't want to, I don't want to have to do it. And I was thinking like, yo, how come Luca doesn't get any grief for being out of shape when Zion does? But in reality, Luca still performs, right? The Zion thing is much more uh, egregious. But, but Luca is just, dude, he's got to have to get it together, man. He's always dragging. He always looks like he's on the verge of like collapsing out there at times, man. He's got to get in better shape. But the Mavericks end up pulling it out in overtime in Los Angeles after Paul George hit a literal buzzer beater. It released off his fingertips at point one to send it to OT at 103. And then Dallas pulled away in control again. KP looking good. 
Now, a game that I watched in its entirety the other night was that Hornets-Wizards matchup, the second between the two in just a week. I actually had a big game breakdown of it on my patron, and so I'd like to go into detail on what I saw here. I think the storyline is LaMelo Ball is taking the next step. And it's funny because we always say it as if it's already happened. Oh, Ant-Man has taken the step. Jaw made the leap, right? It's in the process of happening. I think that the Hornets have decided, all right, this is officially LaMelo's team. We're going to give him the keys down the stretch. We're going to put the ball in his hands pretty much all the time when he's out there. And it's been mixed results. I know he made a ton of floaters late in that game that were clutch. But what I see when he gets downhill is he shies away from contact. He doesn't want to get to the line. And it makes his finishing suspect. He likes to take that long stride and hold the ball out with his right hand. And he kind of just tries to swoop in and finish right hand. That's kind of his only move downhill. And so I think the next step for LaMelo in this process is he's got to learn to change directions once he gets in the paint and use some sort of counter move to the left because they're sitting on that right hand. And then he has the tendency to pick the ball up early. Again, because he's so long, but you see teams playing that corner or the dunker spot, understanding like, yo, we're just going to give him this floater. Because I looked at the stat. So he shoots respectively zero to three feet in, essentially at the rim. He's like at 54%, but then three to 10 feet in that weird floater push shot range that he shoots, he's at 34%. And so, you know, that's an area he's going to have to clean up. And much like Halliburton, right? He doesn't, his pickup is funny. So he doesn't have a natural mid-range pulley. But I I think that Charlotte's doing the right thing. You saw uh, Plumlee fell out of that game late for the fourth time this season, They've got to find a better pick-and-roll big for him. I know P.J. Washington's their stretch five. He's not playing. But, you know, Plumlee, I I understand his value. He does the dirty work. He hustles. He's an energy guy. But you you wonder if Charlotte can make a move. We talked about Valanchunas. And then it got me to thinking, like, yo, maybe maybe James Wiseman, the second and third pick in the draft, that'd be a nice partner for him, pick-and-pop, roll to the rim. Their timetables are the same. But I digress. I digress. Let's get back to this game. Um, Terry Rozier got going. He, he had been really struggling coming off that ankle injury. I kind of like the pairing between them. Now, obviously, you'd love for Rozier to be 6'4". You, you, you'd always love for a player to be a little bigger when they're an undersized guard. But uh, conceptually, it kind of works in the sense that you can hide LaMelo defensively a little bit. Because to ask LaMelo to guard smaller lead ball handlers, that's tough at his size. I know he's, he's a pretty sneaky, long defender, but he's, he's, he has a hard time getting around screens and chasing little guys. So Rozier it allows Melo to not guard necessarily the lead ball handler each night. And then he's a heat check artist. I think they, they, got, a, they got a nice little chemistry together. They do. As far as Washington goes, look, Kyle Kuzma's outfit offended me just like everybody else. And the funniest part about the video that, that people kind of neglected was that he had to open the door with his chest, right? Because he didn't have sleeves. He didn't have his arms in his sleeves. But, um, but yeah, look, Kuzma, for all the shit we give him, he's become a very nice player. What I didn't realize was how good of a playmaker he's become as a secondary attacker. Dinwiddie and Beal put all the pressure on the defense and they get into the paint and kick and then he can attack from the weak side. He's very good off just like a rip through in one dribble. You know, Kuzma's one of those guys where one, two dribbles is best for him, but he's dropping it off. He's become a consistent defender. And yeah, man, I I see it. He he is a big part of why Washington is playing well and 
overachieving at this point in the in the season. <clears throat> now, stylistically, styles make fights. The Hornets have beat this Wizards team twice in a week. And I think it's their switchability in length. You saw it particularly bother Spencer Dinwiddie because Dinwiddie is one of those longer guards who he kind of preys on mismatches, right? And there's just not a lot of mismatches for him to attack on this Charlotte team. You know, they've got a ton of length. And Ubre, McDaniels, uh, what, what, what's the twin that they have, right? They've just got, they've got this length everywhere. And so I thought that that stylistically, I think it bothers them. If this is a potential playoff matchup or play-in matchup, you have to favor Charlotte stylistically. With the caveat, Washington is getting Rui Hachimura and Bertans back. I think Thomas Bryant back. So Washington isn't as complete as they should be. But I think both of these teams now, all of a sudden, clear playoff competitors, I'll say, do they make a move here to bolster their roster? Denny Advia coming along. I'd like to see them use him at the five. Use a little more of his ball skills. He's probably their best defending big. You saw Montrez Harrell late in that game just completely blow the help defense and let Melo swoop to the rim, which was really like the, well, Rozier hit the dagger. Rozier hit the dagger, but Melo was dominant in that fourth quarter. And you watch Trez, he's just a limp noodle with help defense. For all that energy and action he has on the glass offensively, he just stands and watches. He doesn't have any team defense. But I guess my, my concern for Charlotte or something that I would point out was Miles Bridges, six points in 41 minutes. And we know this is a big year for him, a contract year for him. And now that Rozier is back in the mix and he was going, he was hot. What, he hit eight threes, including the dagger. And you watched late, there was kind of a like a my turn, your turn type of thing. Bridges had an isolation, then Terry, then Mello. They may have some growing pains establishing the pecking order because you've got young guys that are looking to get paid and establish themselves in the league. And again, there's no clear alpha yet. We know LaMelo's the star and it's eventually going to be his team, but I just, I'm curious to see in late tight game situations where they go offensively. But again, it, it makes them dynamic. You got Hayward, you got Rozier, you got Melo, you got Bridges. And so that's good. They can be dynamic, but at times now it's not as definitive. The Nets beat the Cavs the other night, but the headline was KD's zombie ankles. Y'all saw it. Y'all saw it. It's funny, man, because it doesn't really fit KD's personality. We've all clowned, you know, the hair for, for years, and now the ashy ankles just add to it. But what I mean is it doesn't seem to fit his personality, and KD strikes me as someone who coolness is important to him, right? Like KD, it's important that he's cool. And then a lot of the time when you see a brother with something like that, like real nappy hair or ashy ankles... Sometimes a nigga just don't give a fuck, right? I understand that. But the other case is when you meet a black person who is raised only around white people. And so they don't understand some of the cultural stigmas of nappy ass head, jacked up hairline, ashy ankles, ashy bows, right? KD's from the DMV. He know better. He know better. So it, it's, it's just kind of weird, man. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I know y'all wanted me to say something about it. So I did. What else happened? I've been picking on Jaron Jackson Jr., as you know, so I got to show him love because he hit a game winner in Utah the other night, 26 points, even managed to pull down eight rebounds. And I understand conceptually he, he's never going to rebound the way you would think he would because he plays on the perimeter too much, man. So hopefully I, my eyes on him the next few weeks to see if he, he kind of perks up here and, and, and starts to look like the player we think that he can be. 
Utah sliding a little bit, right? Utah's not playing as well. I, I, I'm not going to act like I'd be watching Utah games. Stop that. Stop that. But what this brings me to is the James Wiseman news or non-news. Anthony Slater, Warriors beat writer, The Athletic, he's on top of everything. And he reported that James Wiseman hasn't been cleared for practice yet, right? We're all very excited about Clay Thompson, full contact, all that. He's on the way. He's on the way. But James Wiseman, who many people assumed would be his timetable ahead of Clay's, isn't cleared yet. And it was Steve Kerr who brought up Jaron Jackson Jr.'s timetable on his meniscus surgery. And so, yeah, it's just something to monitor. They just could be playing it tight to the vest, and we don't know yet. But all I know is we waited for Jaron Jackson Jr.'s return for almost all of last season. This was almost the same timetable. He was supposed to come back around the holidays, and then when did he come back? In like March? So I don't know. Each injury is its own. It's, it's a funky injury. But I will say this. I think that if it weren't for how invested it appears Joe Lacob is into James Wiseman when you listen to him talk, I would expect them to trade Wiseman. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying I expect them to trade Wiseman, but I'm saying if, if it weren't for Lacob's investment, you can tell Lacob really is invested in Wiseman. If, if it weren't for that, I would think that he'd be on the table and they might be trying to trade him because you look at what's happened, you look at the start, and you can't help but think that the temptation to cash in some of these young chips is going to become even stronger when you look at what what's what right now in the league and how strong the Warriors are. And hey, maybe they're so good right now, even with the young guys, they won't have to. But I imagine it's going to be a temptation at some point here because we've got a long way to go and, you know, there's going to be some ups and downs and they have the pieces. And you look at MVP Steph, Draymond showing he's still hungry and in his prime. Clay comes back, he's looking like Clay. Oh, and you could trade Wiseman for a, a guaranteed proven big? It has to be considered. It has to be considered. Tonight, I'm looking at Boston and Brooklyn. Tatum KD matchup is always fun. And then, who am I kidding? I'm going to be checking in on the Lakers because I always am. It's must-see TV. They are on the back end of a back-to-back in Indiana. And look, the Pacers have righted the ship, right? They had they started off miserable. I think they let the rookie, what is he? He's like 32, right? Duarte. He's nice, don't get me wrong, but I think they they let him do a little too much early on. And, and it seemed as if they got healthy and they've settled in here. You should We should have known Carlisle was going to get it together here. So don't be surprised if the Pacers thump the Lakers tonight. This is the Hezzy. Brought to you by basketballgods.net.